Romans chapter 12, verse 9, middle of the verse says this. Evil cling to what is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've brought us to this place in our life where uh, we are uh, we're living what we were, we were created for, Lord. Just realizing in this place, in this moment, with this coronavirus outbreak, that our life is all about you. And that our, our life is all about focusing on you. And that our life is about... Uh, trusting you. Lord, we just want to say as a church, we trust you today. We trust you that in whatever means, however means you want to do it, you're going to bring us through this storm. We trust you in that, Lord. And Father, uh, during this time where you certainly have our attention, we ask, Lord, that you would, um, that you would certainly speak through this passage this morning, Lord, that you would speak through this passage, speak to us, because God, we want to be the people that you want us to be in this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as I'm going to start in Psalm 23. Hey, Sam, can you get me a, a glass of water? I believe there's cups over there. It's a glass of water. Psalm 23, and I, again, I'm going to be in it for some time. I'm going to return to our verse in Romans. You know, uh, there's a debate, a debate sometime as, as to what is the most quoted verse in the Bible. Uh, many evangelical Christians would say John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But really, if you consider the history of the whole church for the last 2,000 years, it's this. It's Psalm 23. I, I believe it to be the case. I think some church historians would agree. It's, it's a, Psalm 23 has been memorized by countless millions uh, in the church over the ages. It has been on the walls and picture frames in the houses of no doubt tens of thousands of Christian homes through the centuries, it has probably been the psalm on the lips of Christian nations who um, were at war more than any other verse in the Bible. Uh, periods of distress and periods of disease, such as uh, the time that we are in, Psalm 23. I'm on a Bible reading plan myself every morning for my devotion time. I'm trying to read through the Old Testament in one year. And Psalm 23 was in my reading yesterday, and it just struck me how it interprets the verse from Romans chapter 12, verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, it may take you a little while to see where I'm going with this, but let's, um, uh, let, let us uh, go through this psalm, this psalm um, which for millions uh, before us, uh, it, it, brought people into a place of just indescribable comfort. Just the comfort that the Lord even yesterday just poured out on me reading through this psalm 
and, and how alive and powerful uh, the Word of God is that that, that, that that happens. And so I do pray that that would happen this morning. Mm-hmm. Psalm um, 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, notice it does not say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. So what does that mean? Uh, David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. What else could I possibly want? Nothing. He is everything to me. He is all I want. He is all I need. I have it all. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Notice that word, that phrase, for His name's sake. His name's sake. Now, he, he, that, that word explains verses 2 and 3. So, what do I mean by that? It means, it explains verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It explains... He restores my soul. It explains he leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, God does those four things with you, born-again believer. For his name's sake, he makes you lie down in green pastures. For his name's sake, he leads you beside still waters. For his name's sake, he restores your soul. For his name's sake, he leads me in the path of righteousness. He leads you in the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. So what on earth does that mean? For his name's sake. It means that he does these things. Making you lie down in green pastures, leading beside still waters, restoring your soul, leading you on the path of righteousness. He does all those things so that all can see. The people in your home, the people in your job, the people in your community, the people in your city, the people in the world. He does those four things for all to see that he is who he says he is. For his name's sake. For another way of saying it, God is saying to you, for my name's sake, I'm going to make you lie down in your pastures. I'm going to, for my name's sake, I'm going to lead you beside still waters. For my name's sake, I'm going to restore your soul. For my name's sake, he leads me on the path of righteousness. So it, it means um, uh, that um, every 
know the of God as God is doing Psalm 23 verses 2 and 3 in your life so when we've talked about this I believe last Sunday if not if not the Sunday before when when Moses more or less he, he asked God God what's your show me your glory what what who are you what is your name God that's how they used to talk at that in those times what 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 is what, what's your name God he said this he says I'll tell you what my name is the Lord the Lord God merciful and gracious long-suffering abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and by no means clearing the guilty Exodus 34 6 and 7 um, Micah seven eighteen says that he delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. That's who his name is. So what he's saying is that in order for all to see that he is a merciful and gracious God, and that he is abounding in goodness and truth, that and that he delights in mercy, that that's his name. In order for all to get his name, he's going to make you lie down in green pastures he is going to make you he's going to lead you beside still water he's going to bring you to the place of uh, of joy and peace as he makes you lie down in green pastures and lead you by still waters as the world may be in a raging storm as it is right now Right outside of this building, right outside of our houses, there's a raging storm. But for his name's sake, that he abounds in goodness and truth. And, and um, he wants to show the world through you what his name is. He's restoring your soul. It says in verse 3 of Psalm 23. My soul may be in a place of exceedingly great turmoil, but God restores. Why? To prove to me and everyone around me that he delights in mercy. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Finally, it says that he leads me. It says in, in, in verse 3, he leads me on the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. You don't, you don't go out there trying to live for God and to try to get into the good graces of God. That's impossible. Only Jesus um, lived for God in, in, in the way that you're trying to live for God. Uh, that's not the motive for living for God. The motive for living to God is for His name's sake. So that people will see his name. And the amazing thing here, it says that the Lord does it in your life. For his name's sake, he leads you on the path of righteousness. The path of righteousness, the path uh, in which I am choosing not my path, not the world's path, not the devil's path, but God's path. It is the way which 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 31 describes as the more excellent way. It's, it's so much more than moral excellence. 
what is the more excellent way? It's the way of love, of course. It's described in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love uh, suffers long. It's, it's the way that suffers, suffers with people a long time before giving up on them. That's, the, that's what David is talking about when he speaks in verse 3 of the Lord leading him in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. The path of righteousness uh, means uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, um, the way that is kind, the way that does not envy, the way um, that does not parade itself or is puffed up, the way that does not um, behave rudely. The, uh, continuing in 1 Corinthians uh, 13.5, the way that does not seek its own. Now we're in a time right now where everyone is seeking his own, her own. That's not the path of righteousness described in Psalm 23, verse 3, where, where God's leading you on it so he can show everyone what his, who his name is, who he is. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, continues in uh, verse 5, it's not provoked to anger. Imagine such a thing. It's, it, 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, um, love thinks uh, no evil. This way of righteousness thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Um, it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The way of righteousness. He leads me on the path of righteousness. That's the way. It's not a system of morality. It's something so much greater than that. And so, um, uh, Psalm 23. Let's continue in verse 4. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, could there possibly be a more comforting verse in the Bible during this time, Calvary Chapel, than this verse? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. I'm not going to fear evil. I'm not going to fear the virus. I'm not going to fear that um, everything I dreamed of and everything I thought God was going to do in my life, it's, it's shattered forever. I'm not going to do that um, because you are with me. Verse 4 says, Your rod and your they comfort me. Could there possibly be a more comforting verse in the Bible at this time? Well, possibly verse 5. Let's continue reading. It says, You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 
23. Probably the most oft-quoted verses throughout the ages in Christianity. Is there any wonder why it is so? It's just a breathtaking song. And and so timely for where we're at right now. It's so very important that we be reading and meditating on this psalm if you have not already memorized it. I beg you, do not let the, the sun come down today before memorizing this psalm. But I want to ask this question. I want to go deeper. Because if we don't go deeper, we're not we're going to memorize the psalm, but it's full value that the Lord wants you to have. Will not you, you won't realize the full value of it. And so to go there, to go deeper, I want to ask this question. How was it that David was able to get into this just breathtaking place of peace and joy and confidence that he's able this stuff? How was he able to, to get to this place where he, he says um, in verses 2 through 6, it describes where he was in his soul. It, it, it says that he was he was lying down in green pastures. He was by still waters, and his he had a restored soul. He was walking in the paths of righteousness, and he was not fearing any evil. Though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that he was able to say that God, you prepared a table for me, and I'm right at the enemy's shotguns, the barrel of shotguns, pointing down my head. How on earth is he able to say, verses 2 through 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When he's in a place like that, walking through the valley of the shadow of death in the presence of his enemies. How did he get, how did he get to that place? I don't think there could be any more important question on March 29, 2020 in the middle of the coronavirus. How did David get to that place? The place that is described in verses 2 through 6. I think the answer could not possibly be any clearer for us. It's really, really clear how he got to the place in verses 2 through 6. And I know some of you, it's, it's already on, on your mind where I'm going. Why is it that he was, it got to the place where he was in verse 2 and verse 6? It's because he was in verse 1, right? He was able to say verses 2 through 6 only because he was also able to say verse 1. In other words, there would be no verses 2 through 6 if there was no verse 1. In other words, if, if David cannot say in his heart and mean it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, there is no way he is also going to be able to say 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And, and I, in, the, in the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. And, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All of that was produced by the fact that he had come to the place in verse 1 where he could say the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want and what did we say that means the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want it, it, it's David saying with the Lord is my shepherd what else could I possibly want nothing he's everything to me He's all I want. He's all I need. I have it all. The Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. Consider this Calvary Chapel in the city. This is so critical. This is one of the reasons we try to go through the whole Bible. And, and, and uh, uh, encourage everyone to do the same. Including the Old Testament. Is because... Psalm, Psalms like 23 just just they, they, they explode into life when we have that understanding of the Old Testament. Consider this, by the time this psalm is written, certainly by the time the psalm was given by David to the Levites, he would give it to the Levites, the temple workers, to sing these psalms. And by the time that he did that, at the, at, at the time of the writing of the psalm, David knew what it was like to rub elbows with the most famous and influential people in the country. He also knew what it was like to lose all that. You see, King Saul, the, call, uh, the king right before David, who was the first king of Israel, it was the kind of king the people demanded from God. And God said, okay, I'll get, give you what you demand first, and then I'll give you later a man, speaking of David, the, the kind of king I want. But King Saul had invited David to eat at his dinner table every night. Can you imagine being invited? Every single night. Can you imagine that? And, and, and all the most influential people in the land. But when David had to escape from Saul, because Saul got jealous, and he tried to kill David, David escaped, went out into the wilderness. He lost all that. Number two, David knew what it was like to have military power, and what it was like is it. The king prior to... Uh, the king... Uh, uh, King Saul, rather, had made David a commander of one of his regiments at a very young age. But again, after Saul tried to kill him, he escaped and he, he went off to the, into the wilderness. He lost that power. But he knew what that power was like. Number three, at the time of the writing of this psalm, David knew what it was like to be the desire of women. He knew what it was like to know intimately a woman. 
when David was returning from um, a battle, uh, when he was in Saul's good favor, the women of Israel lined the streets and sang, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. And he would return home to who? The king's daughter, Michael, a beautiful woman whom he had married. So at the time of his writing, he, he, he knew about sexual pleasure and, and, and the gift from God that it was. Number four, at the time of this writing, David knew what it was like to live in luxury, to have the best food, to be living with the best stuff in his home. He uh, lived like royalty in Jerusalem, living with the king's daughter. But again, after he had to escape from Saul, he went into the wilderness and he lived there for 10 years, which I believe is when most scholars believe he wrote this psalm in a wilderness period where Saul was chasing him the whole time. It says that he lived in, 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 knock, in rocks and crags, little, little places in the rocks, and just in the open air in the wilderness. And it was at that time that he was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I'm not in want. He wasn't desiring the military power, the famous friends and influential friends. He wasn't desiring the, uh, the place where he was the, the desire of many women. He, he wasn't desiring these things. He was saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and what else could I possibly want? Nothing. He's everything to me. He's all I want. He's all I need. I have it all. Now, importantly, Calvary Chapel in the city, particularly during this time that we're living in, you got to understand that David didn't just wake up one morning and this happened. He just woke up in the morning, the Lord's my shepherd, it's all I want, it's all I ever, no, 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 no. A student of the Old Testament knows that that is not the case. And never that's never the case actually with anybody. <laughs> um, something had to happen in David's life before he got to this place. And that's where we come back to verse in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Middle of the verse, or latter part of the verse, says what? Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now some of you may be saying, where in the world is Pastor Steve going with this? Well, here's where I'm going with it. David only got to the place of Psalm 23, verse 1, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not be in want. And as a result of that, all those other things flowing from it, like, you know, living his soul in a place where it was equivalent to, to, to still water and, and, and lying down in green pasture. And, and, and his soul was in a place where he could confidently say, the Lord's, he, 
he's prepared a banquet for me in the presence of my enemies. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel evil. He was only able to get to that place by abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. Okay, so there's two parts of this verse, right? Abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. Let's start with abhorring what is evil. Begs the question, what is evil? Now, unfortunately, tragically, many of the times when we read the Bible, we use verses like this to... Uh, kind of lull us into a false sense of security like like we're in a good place like like we're spiritual we're strong what do i mean by that abhor what is evil oh you know nazism i hate that philosophy the whole idea of hating jews i hate it what isis believes how they and how they just want to uh, that their murderous desires Oh, I hate that. I abhor what is evil. That word abhor means hate, or it means loathe, or it means despise. I just can't stand that philosophy. I hate it. I hate abortion. I hate the fact that it's legal. I hate the fact that millions of abortions have happened since the early 1970s. And what do we do? We become self-righteous. But that really, I, I believe, that's not what the Lord wants to do with this verse. To you and me, He wants to do a deep, deep work. He wants to go so much deeper than that. He wants to go to the place where David went. What is evil? So again, we're back at the question. What is evil? When David abhorred, what is evil? What was he abhorring? What was he hating? What was he loathing? Supremely, the Bible calls evil making anything in your life anything a substitute for god that's what evil is the first two commandments of the ten commandments in exodus chapter 20 say this i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt and out of the house of bondage you shall have no other gods before me Second commandment, you, commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved, carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Evil. What is it? It's making anything in your life a substitute for God. The Bible has a word for it. If we were um, in a regular service on Sunday morning, I'd ask you to shout it out. You can't do that now. I know some of you are shouting it out in your living room. It's the word idolatry. Making anything uh, in your life a substitute for God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, An idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone by God alone. It, it, it's, it's anything makes us, um, anything we rely on to make uh, us happy when we could be relying on, outside of relying on Christ alone. Now it's true, there's many, many things 
David describes them in verses 2 through 6 of Psalm, uh, of Psalm 23 that God wants to bless us with because he wants to make us happy. But when there is, it, when one of those blessings becomes an idol, becomes a God substitute, that's evil. And the Bible says, abhor what is evil. And, and, and so, um, uh, consider this verse uh, from First uh, Kings chapter 14, verse 9. Uh, this is uh, uh, the king that... Um, uh, one of the kings of Israel uh, of the northern part of, uh, of, of the kingdom in 1 Kings 14.9 there's a prophet speaking to the king Jeroboam and he says this he says you have done more evil than all who lived before you you have made for yourselves other gods idols so what is he calling evil here? idols now consider David himself in Psalm 31 would have been written at about the same time, probably in the wilderness. It says this, 31 verse 6, I have hated those who regard useless idols. Do you see where I'm going with this? David abhorred evil. He hated idols. He abhorred idols. He knew very well what idolatry was. It was in all the nations around him, who worshipped idols. What did they worship? Everything that David had. He had the, um, the, 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 the uh, everything he wanted in terms of uh, sexual desire. He had had that. He had had power. He had had uh, things like um, uh, material goods. He had had those things. Mater uh, military power. They had the, the nations around him had these gods. Uh, gods where you, by worshiping the god, you were worshiping power, power in your own life. And that's what you were striving for. You were striving for that power. That's why you worshiped um, that god. Or, or it was a god where uh, you, you longed to, 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 to worship sex. And so you would have sex at the temple. And it was a form of worshiping that. Um, or you would um, uh, have... Uh, just material goods, just wealth, and they would they would worship for the purpose uh, a, a, a god, a god of wealth, or gods that represented wealth, in order to get the wealth. David saw those, and he cast them out. He hated them. He he abhorred them. Abhor what is evil. Romans twelve verse nine says, cling to what is good. So David abhorred what is evil. How did he cling to what is good? Very easy answer again. Psalm 23 verse 1 says what? The Lord is my shepherd. Not the power and position and being around influential people. That's not my shepherd. That's not what shepherds me, influences me from one day to the next. Uh, not sexual desire. That's not what. It, that's not my shepherd. It's not what sexual desire um, doesn't shepherd me from one day to another as, as, as sexual desire does for, for many. Um, uh, not for power. That's, that's not what shepherds me 
every day, desire for, uh, 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 of, uh, for, for power. The Bible says that if, if, if there's an idol, there can be an idol of power in our life, an idol of sexual desire, an idol of fame, just wanting to be around those influential people. Um, um, it doesn't say that. It says the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I love the verse from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every work to do as well, working in you what is well, pleasing in his sight. Jesus is called the great shepherd. It's just clinging to Jesus. Abhor what is evil. It, it's, it's hating the, the idols in your life. Clinging to what is good is just clinging to the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I'm going to cling to him. You know, I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I do recognize that John Calvin um, had a lot of wonderful things to say. He was a great Bible expo expositor. One of the things that he's famous for is he said that um, the human heart is a factory for idols. The human heart is a factory for idols, and it's, and it's true. And it's so ever important that in a time like this, that we identify the idols and we cast them out. Or an easier way of saying it is we repent. We repent. I was speaking again with Jack Kranz uh, this morning, the men's retreat speaker. And some of you guys may remember what one of his themes is. Everyone needs to be a repenter. I need to be a repenter every day. For the rest of my life, I need to be a repenter. And the Lord is just doing such a clear and obvious work right now through this coronavirus outbreak. Now Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that all things happen because of the, from the counsel of his will. And so uh, this is happening for his from his hand so that you would repent. Uh, one of the brothers in, in, in the church was just talking to me yesterday or the day before and just asking me, uh, you know, what I thought of this and what was going on. And he said, so are people repenting? Are people in the body of Christ repenting? You know, I, I, I don't know. I do know one thing. I, as much as I've ever been in my, in my life, am prostrate before the Lord with a deep desire for Him to identify the idols. My heart is an idol-making factory so I can cast them out and worship Him for His name's sake. That's what He wants to do in your life, for His name's sake, so that people would see who He is uh, through your life. And so, uh, how do you identify 
the idol in your life doing this uh, during this time so you can cast it out two very very easy things two very easy things number one things you find you are really 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 fearing those things fearing losing um, fearing not being able to accomplish um, fearing that they will never happen in your life or things that you are are getting you exceedingly discouraged and depressed those are two indicators that you have an idol in your heart that you need to cast out because you know in, in, in this time I mean just the things that that David were talking about as, as, as David David knew in his own life that we were talking about uh, he knew full well what it was like to to be around to the rich and the influential and the famous every day and how much life is just consumed with whatever, watching celebrities, fantasizing about being in their shoes, whether a, a sports figure or someone in the entertainment industry, someone in music, just that's an idol in your heart. How many uh, during this time are, are, are exceedingly depressed because looks like certainly will go into recession jobs will uh, shrink up who knows um, you know whether uh, I'm going to be able to pursue this career or this project at work or this 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 path that I'm on I'm at, at this pace that I'm on at work who knows it has brought great depression into your life that's an idol that's an idol even just fearing for our own life and just being uh, just being uh, really focused on that all the time and and, 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 and you know all of us have the fear in one measure or, or, or another but you got to understand that's an idol first John 3:16 says by this we know because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren are we holding on even to our very life too closely? And so the, the, the gift that God um, has given us is to seek Him and approach Him. And God, expose those idols in my life so that I can repent, so that I can cast them out, so that this will truly be a, a, a time where... Um, it can truly be said that uh, I, as well as my church, Calvary Chapel in the city, it is growing stronger. It's going to come out of this thing uh, in a stronger place. I was um, reading in uh, the the book of Job, and I share this with some of you. Um, I read through it, and, and you know, at this time I was telling Stephanie, my wife, more than any other, I I. It just was a comfort to me in the middle of all his fears. This is what Job says through the Spirit in Job 23.10. He says, God knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. God wants to do this, that in your life. Why? For his name's sake. But it's got to start with 
out the idols with repenting so that you can say and 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 and, and mean it with every fiber in your being the lord is my shepherd i shall not want you are everything to me lord you are everything 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 to me you know some of you may be listening and um, you're thinking I know what Pastor Steve I, I, I get it I, I I can read that with so much joy and agree with 100% of my uh, heart others of you you have no clue what I'm talking about you're saying to yourself whoa this is like that's crazy I've never experienced that the Lord is my shepherd and, and, and with him really that's all I that's all I want you you have no idea what that is 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 really talking about when you hear a verse abhor what is evil cling to what is good you're thinking to yourself well you know I, I don't do I, I don't do evil things and I don't like them I don't hate them and, and good things, you know, I, I approve of them. I vote for politicians who do, who, who want to do good things, but I, I, I don't cling to the good thing with my life. I don't cling to Jesus with my life. Might it be that you're not born again? The Bible says that these kind of things, like crying out to God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, cannot possibly ever be experienced by the natural man and that's or, or even by the religious man the most religious man in the world even Jesus said to one of the most religious people of his day of his day in John 3 3 says unless you're born again you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Actually, what he also said was, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot see the great shepherd and cling to him. You cannot, uh, you're not going to know how to not only um, not like idols, but abhor them, hate them. You're not going to be able to cling to the shepherd. How is a man or woman born again? It's, it happens simply like this. It's recognizing that that God created you to to worship him to follow him to obey his word to be in a relationship with him but you have been your own God substitute you know that at every point in your life or that your habit or that the testimony of your life is that when rubber meets the road you're your own God. You choose which way to go, not God. To be born again, you have to recognize that the Bible calls that sin. It's sin that is deserving of death and hell. It's, but that God did not want to, doesn't want you to 
go to death and hell. He doesn't want he doesn't want that for you. So instead of you having to do that, he sent his own life, which rather he sent his own son to live a perfect life uh, for you um, in order to credit his perfection to your account, in order to die on the cross, experience death and hell so that you don't have to, in order to raise him from uh, the, the dead in order so that he could pour out his free gift of salvation for you. To be born again just happens in a moment in time. And then... Once you see, see the kingdom of God, once you enter, uh, the Bible says, once you're born again, you enter the kingdom of God and you're as eternally secure in your relationship with God as you will be for all eternity. But you must come before God and confess, I am what Pastor Steve describes. I am someone who loves idols. I have been my own God substitute. You must confess that as sin and just fall on the feet, feet, fall at the feet of God and say, save me, come in King Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. If you, if you ask, he will come in and, and he will, he'll save you. And you can get to the point where you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And for his name's sake, I walk in blessing, I walk in righteousness, and I walk in peace and joy. So that's the message for today. Um, on our homepage, uh, we have uh, links to different prayer groups according to your last name. Uh, because we're in the season that we're in, we're not going to have a worship song at the close of the sermon. We're going to worship in prayer. And Calvary Chapel, we need to be praying uh, more than we ever have been. And I ask that you would go into these prayer groups. You'd link, uh, put your, uh, click into the links that are on our website. Uh, there's one for Spanish speakers. Uh, and go in there. Uh, now and what I'd like to focus on for you leaders and you people going in to pray are are these things Lord the Bible says that I'm, I'm to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good please show me Lord what is evil show me those idols my heart is a fact uh, idol making machine show me the idols so that I can cast them out and and also Lord also show me the beauty of, of, of the shepherd that I can cling to him and, and not just sort of intellectually know him but cling to him. Show me the horror, H-O-R-R-O-R, -R -R, the horror of the cross and, and the fact that I am responsible for bringing on that horror, the blood and, and, the, and the deep wounds of Jesus, the wrath of God. Show that my sin put him there and he loved me so much he died for me. Show me that, Lord, that he rose from the dead to give me free eternal life. Show me that he delights in giving me mercy, that he's abounding in grace and truth like um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Show me that. So I can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Okay, God bless you, Calvary Chapel in the City. I love you. Please go to your prayer groups.